Good morning, everyone. This is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast coming to you from my little wood shop in my backyard, also known as a DTM Woodworking Handyman. Uh, if you're in the Louisville metropolitan area and you need some woodwork or handyman services, uh, kind of no jobs too small kind of thing, and uh, you can get a hold of me at 502-292-7444. Uh, I want to talk about 12-step spiritual recovery real quick. It's a book by James Christopher Cohn. It is an... This, uh, uh, I hesitate to say, it's an updated version of the 12 steps with updated language and concepts that have been passed down to uh, the author from uh, his many years of recovery. It's also geared, uh, I like to like three niches I find that it fits. First off, it fits those who don't fit into a traditional 12-step program. Uh, you may not be struggling with alcohol and drugs. You just may want a little more, some operating principles in your life, and, and this book will and these steps will help you get that. Um, it's for those who are currently in a 12-step program who may want a deeper dive, uh, a look at the 12 steps from a little bit different angle. Uh, Bill tells us in the original 12 steps that we need to continue, and that word's used a lot, and uh, this book will help you continue your 12-step uh, journey. And for those that maybe the 12 steps just wasn't working out of the big book, um, I just know that's a that's a case in point, and uh, this also will give those people maybe a little different angle on, uh, on looking at it. So it's 12-step spiritual recovery by James Christopher Cohn. You can find it at Amazon. And for anybody who hasn't, uh, is not familiar with the podcast, this is a primarily a 12-step based podcast. I do, however, explore any areas I can get my hands on that people find their true selves. Uh, I'm interested in the word recovery as uh, the def- definition that uh, recovery is uh, to find that which was lost or stolen. And as we walk this path on this the big blue marble, uh, sometimes our true selves are stepped on our spirit stepped on and we uh we lose contact with who we really are and uh so in 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 my world recovery is finding that person i really am whether if it's uh whatever happened to be a vice or none at all maybe you just uh feel that something is missing in your life uh your life's not supposed to be like this uh i want those recovery stories and uh that's the way we pass along knowledge from the beginning of time is telling one another stories. So that's what I'm here to do today. Um, I met, you know, the last guest was here, uh, Stephen. We met at that Jerry's meditation meeting, and that's the same place I'm pretty sure I met Matt. Uh, had a wonderful opportunity to go to a uh, meditation meeting on a weekly basis early in my recovery, and it, it was instrumental in launching me to where I am today. And I met a bunch of wonderful people in that meeting, and my guest Matt is one of them today. Um, <clears throat> our sobriety dates are very close together. We were uh, in, this, you know, I've talked about this little battle buddy kind of thing. I don't know. There's a there's a bond that kind of forms when you're in the same place at the same time in these in this work. And uh, Matt will celebrate six years in March. Uh, so what was your what is your sobriety date? March 9th, 2015. March the 9th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right around the corner. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, dynamic of this feeling of like how fast that's gone. And I mm-hmm. think that, but then again, it seems like a long time since I've had a drink or a drug, you know, yeah. but it seems like it, the time just flies by. 
and all of a sudden I can't believe I'm sitting here with X amount of years. It's crazy. It is crazy. It's uh. So, uh, did you grow up around here? <clears throat> yeah, I'm originally from Greenville, Indiana. Oh, are you? Mm -hmm. And I live off Zorn Avenue in Louisville now. Now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How long did you live out? And would tell me about growing up in Greenville. And Greenville is uh, well. I was born in Georgia. I moved immediately to Jeffersonville for the first part of my life um, until about the third grade. My parents got divorced, and I headed on up to Greenville. With one of the other parents? Is that what happened? One of the parents moved to? Yes, my mother. Yeah. Uh, she remarried, and Greenville is where I stayed until well after I graduated and went to school there. Floyd Central and all that? Floyd Central. I didn't correct. know that about you. Mm -hmm. It's one of the uh, collateral benefits of this uh, podcast is that I get to know people better. Yeah. My, some listeners, I heard that a million times, mm -hmm. and uh, and I like that, to get to know people better. Yeah. Um, when did you start? Do you have childhood okay? Less than what you wished? More well, than you could have wanted? I think uh, certain aspects is more than I deserved, and... You know, depends on which side of my brain you're asking. Yeah. You know, I, I uh, definitely experienced childhood trauma, I would say. Yeah. But as I think we all have in some capacity. Yep. Um, yeah, divorce in itself is a trauma. You know, it, to parents doing that is probably, you know, not, not a lot of people escape that one. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a big blow. Um, it kind of was one of the things that brought down my idea of what the family um, structure looked like. Um and then when I was 13, my mom remarried um, uh, my stepfather, <coughs> who has since passed. Uh, he passed a while ago, but he was a hard man, a uh, very hard man, came from nothing, just clawed and scraped his way to a certain level of success, but he was, he was hard. <coughs> Whenever I was 13 years old, I was going through my... I was, a, I was a weird kid. Uh, I'll say that. You know, I'm a relatively weird adult, but I was an especially weird kid. So I was rummaging through my parents' stuff uh, in, in my parents' room, which I did uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I guess just looking to explore and see what they had. And I came across this metal box. It was underneath... Um, my mom's bed, which I've seen, which I saw before, but I don't know why. Just it looked important, so I popped it open. I started looking at it, and I started seeing like official documents. And um, I was scrolling through, and one of them had my name on it. <clears throat> so I started reading. It was from the state of Georgia, and I had never known that I was had ever been to Georgia. Uh, but it was a it was a uh, it was a birth certificate. Um, from the state of Georgia, or oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. It was it was adoption papers from the state of Georgia, hmm. and I had learned that my father, who my last name is, <clears throat> we have the same last name. I was given his last name, was in my biological father, and that uh, kind of threw my whole just another big thing that threw my whole conception of what the family structure looked like just out of whack and. Uh, that was, I had been acting out from an early age. I was a, a troubled kid, We, I would say, from a very early age. Mm. 
Let um, me just see this. So what you found out was that who you thought your father was, your father had adopted you. He was not my biological father. You, but your mother was. Mom, so yes. what happened is they came together and he adopted mm-hmm. you to make all that official. Correct. Yeah. And then that like was a bit of a shattering of your reality of yes. where you thought you were standing. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So I get back. Troubled acting out. Oh, I think yeah. that's a common. I talk about bell ringers here, where mm-hmm. people that sit on their side of this podcast table. There's a lot of, you know, although our stories are all different. Yeah, there is a common theme, common you know, and, and this mm-hmm. acting out is. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was, <clears throat> I mean, I was a bad kid. Oh, I was yeah? a bad kid. Um, you know, I was always. There was one year in high school I spent more time in in school suspension than I spent out of in-school suspension. Dang. I was expelled in the eighth grade. Uh, I'd been suspended. Earliest I got suspended was um, the fifth grade for a fight, which, you know, you know, not too many fifth graders are getting suspended. No, you know? I don't. Um, it usually comes around middle school, high school. Yeah. Come middle school, in the eighth grade, I was expelled. Um and that kind of shows you how early <laughs> I was using and doing all that stuff. Is I was in the eighth grade, and a kid at school had given me a, a drug that said, he's like, yo, this will hype you up. And I was like, all right, give it to me. Well, it was uh, clonidine, which is a heart medic, uh, blood pressure medication. Yeah. And completely just shut me down, and I was just passing out and falling asleep in every single class. and. They knew something was wrong with me, so they sent me to the hospital and fed me charcoal to clean my system out. And uh, my mom took my mom had to go, and she took a picture of me, and I still have that picture of me in eighth grade in a hospital bed, sticking my tongue out. My tongue's black from the charcoal. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. So they did. That got you expelled. They got me expelled. Yeah. Yeah. For doing the dope. Mm-hmm. I had to go to. Well, they a did a tox on you, or did you? I don't know. Did you tell them the truth, and that's how they found out, or? Um, you know, I don't. I don't, don't remember. remember too much. I probably did. Uh, but uh, it, I was in and out. Interesting. Yeah. How about the guy that gave you the drugs? You didn't. No. Mm-mm. You didn't tell on him. Oh no. Yeah. Pull that microphone a little closer to you. It'll move, and you can just pull it, and it'll it'll articulate. Yeah, I there see. you go. Yeah, very cool. It don't have to be real close, but it's okay. nice if it's a, a fist or two away, as Joe Rogan says. That's good. Yeah. So uh, when you got expelled, did that mean you never for that school year? Is that what that mm-hmm. was until? Yeah, for that school year, I couldn't go back. So I went to an alternative school. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say, what do you do? Go. They send you to an alternative school, which. You know, it's pretty sweet, really. Oh yeah. Yeah, they, you know, special attention. Nah, not really. They just kind of let you do whatever you want, and you you got things like recess in eighth grade, which you didn't get. So yeah, that was over with by then. Yeah, yeah. So, and that that was just that was just a trend, though. You know, uh, I was a class clown. I was intelligent. Um, I was in honors classes my freshman year, um, but school never really interests me. Yeah. I kept my grades up. I uh, So I did things in early on competitively. Like when I was 
in middle school, I was a competitive dancer. Oh, really? So, um, yeah, I forgot about that particular. The uh, like I remember seeing at one point you did a a backflip. Right? Yeah, and I mean, like, I, you're, if you're standing there by somebody, and all of a sudden they jump up and do a backflip, it's rather uh, yeah. <laughs> shocking. Yeah, <laughs> like, whoa! Did he really just do that? Uh huh. Yeah. So, you know, I'm. I'm getting, I'm getting a little too old to be doing all the crazy yeah. stuff anymore. Although I still do it, but uh, yeah. So I competitive, I was a competitive dancer. So I would, and I would travel to dance. So I was taken out of school to do that. Mm. And then whenever I got to high school, um, I started diving, and I, I did that competitively all four years. Um, and uh, you know, I was the captain of the dive, the diving team, the co-captain, swim team. I dove for, um. Lakeside, over off Trevilian Way, yep. um, you know, I had a, you know, I had good opportunities. If I, if I were, you know, if I would have been under control, I, my life may look vastly different, mm. you know, which I'm sure it would with anybody. I had all that opportunity in the world, you know, yeah. my parents made money, I was, you know, I was intelligent and I was talented, um, but I could not get it together. I yeah. just, I partied and I was partying very hard, very hard from a very early age. Um, I was, you know, I was going to clubs at 16 years old. I was going to, there was a place called Club X in downtown Louisville, which somebody around here knows what I'm talking about, but <laughs> it was basically an after hours club, uh, like a rave type scene. Yeah. And, uh, it was 18 and up, but I was 16 getting in and, you know, I was just, all of the party drugs were there and that's what we do on the weekend. And it didn't close till 6am and it was, <laughs> it was crazy. And so that was, and that was about the time that I went to rehab for the first time. Really? Uh, huh. I was, let's see, I was 17 years old. Whenever I was 16, whenever I was 16, it really got bad. I got arrested for the first time. Um, my mom was just didn't know what to do with me at that point. She was talking about emancipating me. I moved out at 16 years old. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> which I didn't have a license or a car <laughs> because I had wrecked my car two days before I was supposed to get my license, totaled it, um, then got arrested and uh, for that. And then, you know, I was just floating. But I So you had it operating under the influence before you even had a driver's license? <laughs> no, I wasn't under the influence. Oh, it was, you were? No. I mean, not. I wasn't drunk. I mean, I'm sure I was smoking weed, you know. But, yeah. um, but you said you got arrested for it? Yeah, because I didn't. I never had a license, so yeah, okay. I went and I totaled my car and totaled a telephone pole. Yeah, and I had to work a manual labor job all summer just to pay for that telephone pole. It was eighteen hundred dollars. <laughs> that's that sucked. Yeah. So yeah, and then I went to rehab um, when I was seventeen, and I missed my first month of my senior year because I was in rehab. <clears throat> so I come out of rehab, and it's just, you know, I I gave up a lot of the good things, the good experiences that typically people talk about in high school. Yeah, I gave up a lot of that 
you know, have that in common. Mm-hmm. You know, plenty of ability, plenty of opportunity, uh, and just pissed it away. Yeah. Yeah, you know. And I don't really think of high school as being, you know, some of my friends have this idea of that, the wonder years, you know, such no. a great experience. And I don't have that. Me neither. There were good times, but I don't look at my high school years as being the uh, yeah, it's a the little best bit on, years of my life. Yeah, it's a little bit on the regret side, even Absolutely. though we say we don't regret the past. That's uh, hard not to uh, completely let that go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> but you know, it all you know, it all worked out for the best, and my life today is so good that if I would have, you know done what I was supposed to do, my life would have potentially turned out a lot more mundane and less enjoyable than it is now. So, Yeah, that is a common thread, too. You know, I'm yeah. here today because of that journey. Absolutely. You know, and it would have had there been different inches and seconds somewhere along the line, it could have been a lot different. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty happy where I'm at today, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't give that up Mm-mm. for anything. No. No. <clears throat> so, uh I'm assuming you graduated high school. I did graduate high school. Uh, barely. Yeah. But I did. Um, and graduation day, I had uh, <clears throat> I had some friends over the night before when we were partying. And one of them went into my mom's room and stole her pain pills. She, she always had like a big bottle of pain pills. And I would always scrape off the top, you know, I would, all the time. And I, I loved those things. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, one of and one of the quote unquote friends I had over went and swiped her her bottle. The whole batch. The whole bottle. And uh, you know she came up. I was and I went to Floyd Central, so there was a long line of. There was a big graduating class, and I was getting ready to walk into graduation. She comes in front of everybody, and she pulls me to the side and starts screaming at me, telling me that. You know, as soon as I graduate, I am out, and and I had no idea what she was talking about because all I had done was just got extremely drunk the night before, and I didn't know. But she wouldn't have believed me, and I wouldn't have believed me either. You know, so. So um, you were catching the rap for it being gone. Mm-hmm. And I, I you mean, know, it is your fault, but it is my fault. I mean, they were my. But you didn't take them, so you're mm-hmm. standing there going, like, what? "What?" Yeah. So I graduated. Uh, and after I graduated, about less than a week later, uh, me and a buddy, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee. So mind you, I don't, still don't have a car, still don't have a license. Um, so I was, I was always the, ki- the, the kid without the car, so I always had to con and manipulate people to pick me up. Mm-hmm. So now I'm 18 years old, I'm living in Nashville, right, and with my little job at Annie Ann's Pretzel Shop. <laughs> and uh no no car so me and my buddy uh you know he would take me everywhere and we worked together and we just basically did everything together uh we got a little one bedroom apartment in the in a bad area and then by the end of that stretch in Nashville I uh you know there's about 5 of us living in that one bedroom apartment just you know, I thought I was going to go to Nashville and do a bunch of really cool things. Like, I'm going to, I'm a musician, yeah. right? So I'm going to go down there and I'm going to play music and I'm going to get my life together and I'm going to do all these awesome things. And 
And really, I just went down there and just partied as yeah. hard as I can. Went down there and let the disease progress. And it got progressively worse very quickly. So by the end of it, <clears throat> my buddy had uh, he had smoked some meth or something and had some kind of crazy episode. Um, they were getting involved with like, we had met some people from the hood, from the hood hood, from the real hood. Um, that, uh, were, they had robbed a crystal, which is like a White Castle, yeah. right? Yeah, hamburger, anyway. Uh-huh. And, uh, so then, you know, we, we were starting to kind of get our footing and, you know, I was, I wasn't involved in that, um, but some people I was with were involved with that and it was armed, it was armed robbery, wow. right? So <clears throat> it had just progressed so crazy that, you know, we were so young that we were just like, we tapped out of that one, came back home Oh, really? for a little while. And, uh, you know, I came back home and I was like, you know, I'm going to get my stuff together again. You know, I'm always going to, I'm always going to do the right thing. Right. Yeah. And my, my intentions were to do that. Yeah. Right. I had good intentions. Yep. I'm uh, going to get my shit together. Yes. This time, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to graduate college. I'm going to get a good job. Um, and so, you know, I was, and I would start building the structure up, right? Yep. Uh, you know, enrolled in college, uh, lived in the IUS dorms. At the age of 21, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a, just another insane. It was like, no matter where I go, you know, I brought me with me. So mm-hmm. it was, I just turned everything into just an insane party. And, you know, I, I, I tried to go to school and I did go to school and I went to, I went to college um, it took me like three plus years to get a associate's degree in business. I stayed drunk the entire time. Um, Didn't know any different, really. I mean, like no. at the time, it's not even a matter of like quitting. You knew you had to like moderate in order to get through. You know, sure. I never did sit down and go when the those those uh, epiphanies that I was going to begin to get my shit together never included like abstinence. No, it just included moderation. No, I, I just thought- keep myself under. Keep you myself know, under control, and I'll be all right. In my mind, it, that was the norm. That's what everyone else was doing, right, I thought. Yep, yep, it does. It looks like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it, and it may have been everybody that I was hanging out with mm-hmm. was doing it, right. <laughs> but it wasn't what the normal people, I now know it's not what normal people do. So, Yeah, yeah isn't that a funny illusion how you begin to you get yourself thinking that this is what we all do? Yeah. You know, my circle does it, so this is just what everybody does. Even and, uh, even as it gets progressively worse, too. And I think a lot of it has to, you know, a lot of it has to do with the company you keep. Because if all, all the only people that you're around are doing the exact same thing, and that's really all you see, then you you can rationalize it, you know? Yep. yep. So it's an interesting thing. I think about this sometimes. Uh, somebody handed me a, a metaphor for this disease, like a parasite that hijacks your operating system, and mm-hmm. you're really not under control of yourself. It's got you. Yeah. And then it this this parasite is smart enough to like do this in groups of people, so that when I look to my left and right, I don't look abnormal. Yeah. You know, I go well. 
he's doing it. Yeah. And he's doing it, so, you know, I'm okay. And maybe that is the normal for that small subset of people. Uh, I don't know. Do you remember losing any of those people? Like people, I remember people dying. You know, I had friends that fell off. You know, they'd have a car accident. Or I had two different friends in high school who killed themselves with a pistol. Yeah. And at the time, I had no idea what that really was, you know. But now, looking back, I know it was that it was it was alcoholism it was this disease that got them and and i just saw friends dropping off and still just kept on marching could not put the two and two together that that was what was happening not at that time it wasn't until a little bit later on when i started doing a lot harder stuff no d's and that kind of stuff started happening yeah yeah um at this stage i was just doing I was doing every drug I can get my hands on but primarily it was drinking smoking maybe some blow stuff like that Um, it was right around that time that I started racking up DUIs Um, I started bartending at a the age of 20 Mm. right because I I always wanted I always wanted to be the cool guy and I think even part of me still does it's just like an innate thing in me right um and at 20 and 21 years old, what's what's a cooler job than bartending, right? Yeah. And I did that for consistently for about seven years. And in that time frame, <clears throat> and for those seven years, it was just the same thing every day. You know, I'd wake up, I'd come to, still drunk from the night before, and I would immediately start drinking or using whatever's in my arm's reach from the night before. Get up, take a shower, go to work, immediately start drinking, day shift, get on my <clears throat> on my lunch. I'd go to the closest little bar, drink as much as I could possibly consume, go back, finish out the night shift, drink the entire time, and uh, get off work and go party till 4, 5, whatever. Um, pass out, wake up, do it all over do again. Do it over again. So that's, Groundhog days. That's what my life looked like for about seven years. Um, and you know, obviously, you know, like I'm in, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, but drugs were a massive equally, um, thing here. So just accelerated my alcoholism. Sure. Um, and, uh, there, there was never a substance that I have come across that I have declined, yeah. right? Never. Yeah. Even yeah. Thing, things that, that people don't even take to get high you know what i mean like that i still take them right if you could if you if you told me if uh, snorting grass will get me high i'd go do it yeah same thing here you know and it'd be somebody offer me something well you want one of these and they'd go gloop yeah what was it exactly uh, i mean just whatever i can get my hands on um and i was real it's like i was self-destructive just even like physically self-destructive, like, um, I, <clears throat> like, like I, I had like cut myself on se- several occasions, and that's why I have this this tattoo here. Is it because I was gonna go in the navy one time? I was gonna do a bunch of stuff, just never really did it. But uh, you know, and I could never handle like my emotional well-being. Like I was a basket case, always an emotional 
basket case. Was this cutting, like cutting? Yeah. I mean, like, so you're doing it in the same realm as the as people who cut themselves, self-harm. Absolutely. But this, this one was weird. Like, I was dating a girl. First of all, I've never had a healthy relationship in my life still to this day. So <laughs> I haven't, you know, they're all bad. <laughs> uh, but I was drunk, and I was just... Kind of like I show you, I'll hurt me, and I grabbed a <clears throat> like a serrated bread knife, and I just started hacking at my arm. Wow, wow, wow! And wow. it was not good. Yeah, I had to go to the hospital. I had, <clears throat> and you can still see it um, in the light, but like that. Yeah, all of that. So I got this tattoo to cover it up. Yeah, um, and that was just a common thing i when i was 19 i got drunk and uh i scaled up the side of green tree mall got to the roof and then uh couldn't find my way down so i was hanging from the roof and so i had to drop in about 30 feet and i I shattered my left foot and i Mm. was had to crawl around this shithole duplex i was living with like five other guys for a few days until all the booze in the place was gone and then the pain started setting in my foot swelled up like a pumpkin turned black <clears throat> had to go to three different specialists to um, get put back together again mm-hmm. yeah so i got two plates and six what is it plates and pins in my left foot uh so just give you something cool to talk about when you fly yeah <laughs> What's in your shoe? Yeah. My foot? Yeah, it it's weird. I can, like, when it rains and it gets cold, I can feel it. Do you feel it? Yeah, it's yeah. super weird. Yeah, I broke up a leg real bad, and I have that same feeling. It, uh, it, it changes with the barometric pressure, and I feel that. It's weird. It is a weird thing. You, uh, we have a lot of the in common there. I ended up hurting myself a lot, and as a matter of fact, I still do in yeah. much minor, more minor ways, you know. But yeah. I got burned my arm the other day mm-hmm. on a grill, you yeah. know, and it wasn't no ham and egg burn either, man. Yeah, that's and, a good uh, one. And it just seems like I constantly do that, and I go back and talk to people about those stories of uh, these this string of hurting myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, most, but I never did it on purpose. I don't think uh, it was mostly just carelessness. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of, you know, I have hurt myself on purpose, and when I was younger, it was like, if I liked that feeling, I guess even still, like, I, I'm covered in tattoos, so, like, I still... There's something behind that kind of thing, absolutely. That, like, in that pain of the tattoo. Uh-huh, and it's, it's therapeutic, and it's kind of always been that way. Now, you know, now I just get artwork on my body yeah. so and that yeah, and funny. that soothes it yeah. i guess until i have no more skin yeah i find the same thing like exercise does that for me where I'm you push freak to about that, that you know yep. and, and uh you know that as we say in here you know the bottles and whatever is only a symptom kind of thing you know mm-hmm. uh, I, I, uh, it's my feeling that you know what the, the problem was is i didn't like the way i felt normal exactly so i had to do something to change the way i feel and until i can do something that stops me from needing to change that yep. and you know and redirecting it into more help me you know maybe i'm not going to stop but yeah. i'll redirect it into something that is not so damaging to myself absolutely uh, and i do the same thing um you know the gym obviously i'm in that thing seven days a week literally every day i don't miss a day um 
you know, I, and I, I I've done multiple forms of like jujitsu. I did it for a long time and I boxed for a long time, um, in recovery. Yeah. Um, so it's always just ways to test myself physically, but, um, I don't know. I got, I got off track there. Yeah. I help do that. Sometimes I sidetrack people when mm-hmm. I interject stuff. And, no, it's fine. But, uh, makes this more like a conversation yeah. than, a, than a monologue. You yeah. know, I could send you a tape recorder and have you sit at home and do it. Nah. And, uh, yeah, this is just, this is a cool. I like it too. Yeah, this enjoy is cool. It. There's a, however it came about. Uh, I think it's one of those higher power driven things. And however it came about, uh, I ended up with, like I said, a whole bunch of collateral benefit. You know, during COVID, it's been good because I we're bet. not doing face to face meetings and stuff in our group. Yeah. And uh, you know, I have a library of uh, people's stories. So some new guy comes in, uh, he can get to know the guys in the group. Yeah. By listening to the podcast, you know, and it's uh, awesome. Gain some familiarity where you know normally you get that you know, outside the meeting and going out to eat afterwards and yeah, and doing that kind of stuff this period of time. We've had been, that's been uh, uh, not been an option much. So this kind of covered that. And like I said, the best one, I, my, me, is I get to know these people better, man. And my, yeah. my, my recovery network, my support structure cannot be deep or wide enough. Absolutely. And the more I pour into knowing you, mm-hmm. the better I am. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, this is a cool. Uh, it's a little different than, well, it's a lot different than someone just coming up and telling their story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you know. You like that uh, fear of like when you you do that up at the podium. You know, like you got to fill all the airtime and mm-hmm. it's all up to you and all that. You know, it's like. Uh, and I'm pretty good at that. You know, I don't have no problem talking. I don't never yeah, found yeah, you to have any problem with that either. Uh, but I like this two-way medium. I like this conversational way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, this is a – it's a good dynamic. I could see how this could be successful. Yeah. You know, the uh, you know you can go out there and hear a lot of speaker tapes on the net, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of them, I think. Yeah, there's a bunch. Uh, you know – but like our stories are important too, you know. Sure. These people here, you know, and I think there's a there's a there's an advantage to like the local thing. Absolutely. Being able to hear people that you actually might see and know, mm-hmm. you know, those people out on the net are just some. It's almost like a TV show. You yeah. Know? You don't know them and don't you know? It's just story time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I've had some real uh, some real. Well, I get emails from a lot of places. Didn't turn my macbook notifications off um i get emails from i've had a couple of them from out of the country of really people listening and very cool um and probably the most touching thing is like sometimes some people's parents have listened to the story uh and uh you know there's a lot going on in it that they weren't aware of and mm-hmm. it's always been a good experience too you know it's been something that they actually are very uh, grateful that we did it uh and those those will touch your heart when you get a I'm sure a parent coming to you thanking you for yeah for doing this. It's like a positive impact. Yep, yep, no doubt. Because like we said, you know, most everybody I bumped into throughout those years, I had a negative influence on most anybody uh-huh. I bumped into. So uh, yeah. today I try to change that energy and yeah. balance the karmic scales by having positive impact as a result of being Dan Reeves walking around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So these days at uh, IUS and all that, and did you, you did you did actually finish a, a I did associate get a, degree? I got a, an associate's degree. Uh, it took me forever 
but I did. Um, I had ran through multiple relationships. I had racked up a, a couple DUIs at that point. Yeah, that's what you left off at. Um, and, uh, you know, I was in and out of toxic relationships just with, and, you know, a lot of them weren't. It was always my fault, right? I was always the super toxic one. Um, yep, and I'm always the common denominator, too. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, all these people are crazy. You know, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. I might be the one. Yeah, the whole world, you know, the whole world can't be wrong. So, um, and it just progressed, you know. I, I, was, I was just partying hard, as hard as I could. And I just, I just stayed drunk. I stayed inebriated for years, for years and years and years. Um, I had, was in one relationship that, you know, she, she dumped me for obvious reasons. And it like threw me into a tailspin um, because like I said, I was never emotional, uh, emotionally stable ever. And I, and I've, ne- and I've never been that way. Even since I was a kid, my mom had me in any type of medication you could think of, therapists, counselors, uh, rehabilitation centers, the everything throughout my entire life. Any means it, a rational person could think of try- to try to help me, you know, she had tried. So God love that woman. Um, <clears throat> but it was, you know the drinking was going on and and it was getting progressively worse and I was progressively hurting myself and then also other people too like I how I was putting I was destroying relationships with the people that meant the most to me um namely my mom mm-hmm. uh you know that that dad that my adoptive father, he stopped talking to me when I was about 18 years old. We had gotten into um, an argument over something, something I did. Um, and he was yelling at me, and then I hung up on him. And that pissed him off. And since then, we haven't talked. Really? Since then, even now? Yeah. So that's, you know, 14 years. Yeah. So he was in my life. He's been out of my life just as long as he's been in my life, you know. Um, I I always had, you know, problems with male figures, problems with problems with male authoritative uh, figures, um, figures of authority. Yeah. Uh, And then my stepdad, he was just, you know, he was a man's man. He didn't know. And he was a hard man, <clears throat> um, and I always had a certain level of fear for towards him because he was kind of a dangerous man. Um, he spanked me one time, quote unquote, spanked me with a belt when I when I was in eighth grade, which is a little bit too old to be getting spanked hmm. uh, with a leather belt, and it he he just he tore me up, and uh, I went to school, and I had on shorts and. The teacher saw the bruises and called the, called CPS. It was a whole deal. Wow. Um, it was a whole deal. <clears throat> and then, uh, but that's backtracking anyways. Yeah, it's okay though, man. I mean, that's stuff that, uh, as I said, 
or in the beginning, you know, we have this thing where we go off through life, man, and we get our spirit stepped on, you know, by various things. And that's not to blame anybody. That's not the purpose, but we get our spirit stepped on. And then, you know, it's kind of like you look at the story behind you and you go, how could I have ever went any other direction than what one I was going in? You know, I... (laughs) Yeah, kind of beat ourselves up and like a man's man kind of thing. What I'm getting ready to think of that he's going to say is, you know, why don't you just put on your big boy britches and do the right thing, Matt? Sure. You know, uh, if you had some willpower, if you was just, you know, there's some kind of uh, deficiency in you because you can't seem to get your shit together. Yeah, it was, you know, the co- I remember getting told this majority of my life, like, what is wrong with you? Like, what is wrong with you from everybody? My parents, everybody. So after hearing that for uh, over and over again, you start to kind of say, okay, well, there must be something yeah, wrong right. with me. Yeah. You know? Um, Which there was. Right. <laughs> yeah, but it feeds that, you know? Yeah. And, and so, you know, there can be a thing where I remember kind of tossing in the towel that there's something wrong with yeah. me. So while I try to fight, you know, there's a period mm-hmm. of time of trying to, like, fight that. It's like, no, there isn't either, man. I'm just not doing this right or I'm not doing that or I'm having to run a bad luck or, yeah. you know, all this kind of stuff. And at some point I go... You know what? Fuck it. There is something wrong with me. Why should I even try to fight it? I'll yeah. just do what I want to do. And that's that's where I that's where I was at at an early age. Unfortunately, um, by doing that, it uh, I it ruined. Hopeless. Well, I just ruined all the relationships that I any positive relationship and any 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 good quality that I had any type of potential I had just thrown it away. Um, you know, so it just, you know, it kept progressing. And, um, after, after me and that girl broke up, any, every breakup that I went through out there threw me into a just dramatic, brought my whole world down. Yeah. I understand that. I was so codependent, you know, so, and I put my happiness, I say that, you know, but at the same time, I would do, I did everything in the world to ruin the relationship. So it couldn't have mattered that that much to me. I think it just mattered that my ego was crushed that they, they left me. So I always thought I was a cool guy. <laughs> but anyways, um, so broke, me and that girl broke up. I immediately hopped into a relationship with the next girl who... We were together for about three and a half years, and it was the most traumatic three and a half years of my life. Hmm. Um, and I, you know, it's not all her fault. It's you know, it's all my fault <clears throat> for you know staying in the relationship longer than I should have. And I did a bunch of stuff that were bad. But um, so, but in that three and a half years, I had racked up two more DUIs. I, I had developed a uh, strong opiate addiction, and. Uh, I had after the the last DUI. That was the fourth DUI that I've had um, within a ten year span, and they took my license for ten years. Um, and uh, that then I couldn't work anymore, or I couldn't not I couldn't work. I couldn't do what I had done to make yeah. money. I couldn't bartend anymore. I was living in Greenville, Indiana. There weren't any bars very close. Yeah. No good ones, anyways. Uh, so. Um, so then I was stuck, stuck in this relationship that was just full of just toxicity 
and infidelity and lies and it was just um and then uh so let's see so then i was out of a job um stuck in greenville and uh legal consequences on you no car no car or no license, no car. No license. I will tell the readers that Matt did pull up in a car a little while ago, so that has since I did. changed. <laughs> yeah, relatively new car. <laughs> uh, Miracles in recovery. That's right. Um, so I had so one thing about I had been doing manual labor during the summers with my stepfather. He uh, he did industrial demolition, so I had been doing that every summer pretty much since I was 16 because um, I'm, you know, made, a, it was extremely hard work, but I made a, a lot of money, which, you know, $30 an hour prevailing wage job for a mid twenties. Yeah. It's a lot of money, you know, especially when I didn't have any bills yeah. or anything. It also sounds like a good thing to be taking out a lot of life's aggression on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's super dangerous, super hard. Um, so um, I had some connects there and I reached out to um, a buddy and, he was running his own crew now, and I said, hey, man, I need a job. He said, well, you're in luck. I'll be there. We're leaving for Connecticut tomorrow morning. I'll be there at 5 a.m. I'm like, oh, shit. That's not quite what I meant. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I stayed up all night with some things that make you stay up all night with that girl. And 5 a.m., he was there in a big suburban to pick me up. I was like, yeah, this is going to be sweet. Going to ride, drive to Connecticut in this big suburban, about 16-hour drive. Well, we also stopped and picked up seven other guys in that suburban. So here I am, up on things from that make you stay up, crammed, because I'm the smallest guy, crammed in the back of the corner of this suburban, driving 16 hours straight to Connecticut to start my new... Adventure and industrial demolition, and uh, that's what I did for the next two and a half years. Is um, and I got stuck in the perpetual cycle of that too, and every day looked the same there too. Mm-hmm. And we went to a bunch of different cities, uh, but it was always the same. We'd go to the, to a city, we'd show up to the city, we'd get a hotel room. Uh, we were always in the industrial part of town, which is always the worst part of town. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd get a hotel close to the nicest strip club in the worst part of town and we'd work all day, you know, doing very, very hard, very, very dangerous work. And then we'd get off and we'd go to the strip club and we'd party until we went home. We'd wake up five o'clock every morning, go back out and do it again. It's amazing that you could pull it off too, right? It was, it was not good. And, uh, you know, it was getting to the point to where, you know, I was only sleeping a couple of hours because I was out at the strip club all night. It wasted. Yeah. And then I remember just showing up on the job site and I'd be walking and talking to my buddies. I'd turn around and I'd just throw up mid, mid-conversation mid and go back, talk to my buddies, just like nothing had ever happened, you know. Yeah. And, you know, there were situations where I had to get up in really high spots and, you know, cut metal down from high spots and it's fallen. And then we're taking out massive pieces of cutting down massive pieces of metal, massive structures, 
taken out just it, very dangerous, very dangerous work. A lot of the guys were missing half their hands, multiple fingers. I mean, it's just very serious stuff. And yeah. I couldn't uh, – I just couldn't keep doing that and working. It was like killing me, right? So I said to myself, okay, I'm going to – Switch it up. I'm gonna do better. I'm not gonna drink so much. I'm gonna another turning point. Yes. Oh yeah. My life's it's been filled with them. It's just the ones that I say that I'm gonna do for myself are, are never worked. So I always there was this little subset of our group that never went out with us. They'd just stay in their room and they always looked like they were feeling good hmm. at work. So I was like, I don't know what they're doing, but whatever it is, I want to do that. Because they looked like they were having a good time. And uh, so what they were doing was heroin. Ah. So uh, <clears throat> I started doing that slowly but surely. And I had done it before. Um, so it, it didn't scare me, you know. Um, but I had never – I had, and I had shot it up once before, but I was really young. And it didn't really – at that time, I did it once, and I never did it again. It was fine. So I started, you know. And mind you, I was making like $1,200 a week. Um, so I was making decent money. Yeah. Um, cash. So I started just by snorting it a little bit here and there. Get me through the day, you know. Uh, and then it, but that doesn't last very long, you know. Because then you start needing more, more and more to get the same effect. And yes, and that and that effect is that effect was as soon as it hit me, it was like this is what I've been looking for my entire life. Yeah. <sighs> so opiate receptors are just sitting there with their mouths wide open. Oh my god! I felt the same way. It was pain pills is where it started. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, and then, you know, and you start off with the pain pills, and then you get to the hardest pain pills that you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And they're not enough. And, and then they're not enough. too expensive. Or... Yeah. And they're expensive. Uh, but, um, but when I started using heroin, it was like, because I'm, and this is the way that I party in general, or drink, or use, or whatever, is I'm trying to get to the point of oblivion as fast as I possibly can. Mm. Um, that is just how I party. Yep. That's how I roll. And uh, that substance got me there the quickest. And that's what I was. I was as soon as I did that. I was like, I am, I am home. This is what I've been looking for forever. And so I started off, you know, <clears throat> and those and those other guys that you know they were shooting it, but I wouldn't do that. Um, at first, you know, and I could maintain a little bit, um, but, you know, and they would, or they would say, you know, I don't know why you are sorting it because you you're know, wasting you're it. You're wasting it. Yeah. And so finally, um, I had shot it up again and it was once that happened, it was, uh, it was over. It was over. That is what I lived for. Um, 
like I said, I was making like twelve hundred dollars a week, which is a good good amount of money for somebody with minimal yeah. bills and yeah. You know. Yeah, no real possessions, no really yeah. anything to pay for. I had yeah. to pay for rent for a little room that I rented off in Louisville whenever I was home. It was like three or four hundred bucks a month or something, and that was it. So for a year and a half, that's what I would do. I'd make my my money, and uh, I would just do that every day. And uh, it had pretty quickly started taking a hold on me physically. Um, that kind of brings me to the to the moment of clarity, right? So after about a year and a half of doing that, my body had withered away. Um, they weren't working me as much because I wasn't very strong, and now I was a dopehead, and they all knew it, and everybody knew it, so. Um, you know, I was more of a liability than anything. Um, and I remember laying in my bed in that apartment off Zorn Avenue. Um, and I was out of money and I was out of dope and I was out of everything. And I was just going through it like withdrawals. I was DTM really bad. And I had looked at myself and I like couldn't even get out of the bed to like go to the bathroom. Like I was just stuck in there, just sweating and trembling. And it was just awful. That is, that is a bad DT, a bad coming off of that is terrible. It's not going to kill you, but you wish. That's what they say. Alcohol and benzos, you will kill you. It will kill you. uh, It's coming off of heroin, you'll wish you were dead. Yes, and that's the truth. So, um, and, you know, know, I had those four DUIs, but I've been arrested 12 to 15 times. Um, All alcohol-related, all public intoxication, this, that, a bunch of stuff. Which, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into all—I've never—thankfully, I never got convicted of a felony. But, um, so every year I was just perpetually—I would—I was on probation, like, every year. I would get arrested, uh, get put on a year probation, get to about the 11th month, and reoffend, and they would go take me back to jail, and I'd get put on another year probation, or I would make it off, make it through it. And then a couple months later, get arrested, right back on probation. From the time I was 18 to the time I was 28. Wow. So I was a frequent uh, resident of the Floyd County Jail. Hmm. Um, so anyways, I was laying in bed, and uh, I thought to myself, like, when was the last time I even felt physically good? Um and it had been the last time that I was locked up because I was locked up and I was away from all the substances. And uh, so I, I said a prayer. I said, I said, God, either kill me or send me to jail because I can't do this anymore. Right? And uh, all I'll say about that is be careful what you wish for. <laughs> because... Uh, two weeks later, I went into, and that brings me to March 9th. So my, 
my belly button bir- birthday is March 8th. Oh, really? Yeah. So on March 8th, which was my birthday, my mom picked me up and she took me to dinner and she gave me some money for my birthday, which I... And I got really drunk that night, and I didn't have any dope. And then the next day, me and my buddy were going straight to the dope man with the birthday money that I had. Um, And that's what we did. We went straight to the dope man, picked up some. um, But I had a probation appointment that morning. And I was like, I was like, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just not going. I'll just call him and cancel and tell him that I'll come back. He's like, no, man, if you don't go, you. If you don't go, they'll put you in jail. I was like, all right, fine. So I go walk, waddle in my probation appointment, and uh, the front, the cop up out front, I was on my phone, and uh, he said, are you Matthew Henniger? Oh, sorry. You can say your own name. Okay. You can blow your own anonymity all you want to. Uh, okay. We just don't blow anybody else. Yeah. Uh, he said, are you going to? And I was like, yeah, that's me. What's up? He's like, you're under arrest. I was like, shit. <laughs> Knew I shouldn't have came. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, what had happened was I was drug tested a week, uh, the month before, and I had completely failed it, it on every thing. Of course, I thought I, you know, I had outsmarted them because I, I don't know, chugged peroxide or whatever it, I did. Yeah. That, what, that shit don't work. <laughs> just for the record, it's not gonna work. <laughs> So they just sat around and waited till you come back. They didn't come looking for you. They mm. just waited till your next appointment yep. and snatched you up when you showed up again on the doorstep. Yeah, because I was stupid. And they <laughs> they knew I. Was. <laughs> oh, it didn't have to look for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I go hunt his ass down. He'll be back here in a month. Yeah, he'll come back because I showed up every month. Yeah, I was high, but I yeah, still they probably did look at. It. They probably went, well, you know, he's real good about making his yeah. appointments, so we'll just wait for him to come back. Yeah, exactly. And that was the last time I got arrested. So was this before or after you made it to the drug man that morning? Did y'all go? This for, is after. Okay, so y'all. So went I and had. Got what you needed. I had the pack, and I put it in my wallet, and I put my wallet in his side door, right? And I went in. They arrested me, and he saw me. And he was like right out front and saw them take me in. So he rolled out, and uh, and that was all when I got put. First of all, I was always already kind of withdrawn a little bit. Um, plus, I was hungover from the night before, and uh, but I had been, you know, steady using. So uh, <clears throat> I better get sober. So um, so as soon as they put me in that cell, all I could think about was how I could get out to get back to to get to well, my drugs. That's the only. That was the only thing that I could even think about. Yeah, here you are in jail. You're thinking of something like that. Now I'm going to be some master prison breaker where I'm going to get out of here. And I go. was calling every single person that I could, and they, to my, so my, they said my, because I had failed that drug test so bad, and they, what they later told me was they thought I was going to die. Mm-hmm. So they set my, my bond at, Ten thousand dollars, ten percent of a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, really? Yes. They did not want me to get out because nope. they said I was gonna. They were like, "You are, this for your own protection." Yeah, you're gonna die because <laughs> I that previous drug 
test. I had everything in my system you could possibly imagine. Because I didn't just do that drug. I did all the drugs, and I was doing bad drugs. Yeah. I was doing meth. I was doing crack cocaine. And I had all done it in a very short span before I was in there. Because um, that's just like, that's how I like to party. Uh, still thinking that's how everyone liked to party, you know? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, um, so I'm in there, and at that stage of my life, there wasn't somebody who was going to pay $10 for me to get out of jail, let alone $10,000, right? So I was stuck. And uh, I just, at a certain, I think it was about like two days in, I just accepted it like, here I am. Hmm. And, and I was just prepared to go through the worst withdrawal I had ever faced. And that's what I did in the holding cell of DX2, a Floyd County jail. Riding it out in a jail cell. For seven, for, I was in the holding cell for seven days. And there was about, it fluctuated between about 10 to 14 guys in a cell that comfortably fit four. Right? And so, after about that seven days, which I barely even slept... They took me up to population, and then, um, so you just sitting in there writhing it out, writhing and, it out. Uh, this, my last guest talked about the same thing, and I don't have that as a part of my story. But man, it sounds awful. But of course, it's going to be awful no matter where you're at. Yeah, so. it doesn't matter. Is that that was the only if you way you were in a rehab center? You'd get a little bit of passionate care. I'd have left. Uh, you'd have left. I'd have left rehab. Yeah. You, you I see what you're saying, yeah. So now here was a no uh, escape kind of place because you can check yourself out of rehab. You can say, "Fuck this, I'm out of here." And I was locked up, and that was the only way that I was going to separate myself from it. Yeah. You had to lock me up and physically remove me yeah. from that for me to with no chance of escape. Nope, and uh, that's what had to happen, mm-hmm. and that's what did happen. So I spent about. I was in. I was locked up that time for a little, over, a little over five months, um, and during that time, um, I'd stopped using drugs, obviously, because I was, you know, there was nothing in there. Um, they don't get drugs in Floyd County. Huh. I've heard different things, and I don't know a specific, you know, but I did learn somewhere along the line, which was a, a big uh, awakening for me, that just because you were in jail didn't mean you stayed sober. It's true. And from what I hear, Clark County, you can get drugs. Uh, but in Floyd County, you couldn't. They had these things called stone walls, which were tobacco tablets. And that was the big thing. That's the best you could do was get some nicotine. Get some nicotine. And it, it's it's like, they're like mouth uh, mints or like something, right? or something. Yeah, exactly. But, the, you know, and that was the, that was the only thing. Um, I don't know. They might have had some other stuff. I don't know. Whatever it was, because I didn't have any money. I couldn't get anything. You stayed clean. Uh, yeah, just I didn't have anything to trade with them. And uh, But those stone walls, those got me through. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anyways, um, so I was in there for about five, a little bit over five months. And uh, they kept telling me, like, all right, part of your sentence or plea or whatever is that we're going to send you to Turning Point. 
They said it'd probably take you about 30 to 60 days. And then after about 90 days of sitting there, I'd given up hope of going to Turning Point. I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, it's, I've been in here for months. You know, I've only got a six, they're only going to keep me for six months. Like, I'll be fine. But after the, a uh, little bit after the fifth month, I was laying, like waking up one morning and I hear over the loudspeaker, Hedegar, pack your shit. I was like, oh my God. Like, don't let me out, or, yeah. you know? So I get on my Those stuff. great words, dude. Yes. And they were completely unexpected, so I was just, I was enthralled. But, you know, I was used to jail. Like, I'd been to jail plenty of times. Like, and it doesn't matter. Like, after a while of any situation, like, I'm going to find ways to have fun and acclimate. And humans are super adaptive. So when mm-hmm. I had adapted to it, I, I had, you know, I when I got locked up, I weighed 130 pounds soaking wet. When I left, I weighed a buck 80. And I was... I was working out two hours a day and I was reading books in like very short amount of time and like my mind and my body had re you know was strong again yeah um so when they took me to turning point um first of all I didn't want to be there because they didn't give you coffee and you couldn't play spades so I was like this is crap like take me back to jail but then they, I re- they, they fed me once, and the food was pretty good. And I was like, "All right, I'll stay." <laughs> and I had like an actual bed, kind of like. Yeah. So, um, so I was in Turning Point, and you've been, um, you've been to Turning Point, I assume. I haven't been in there, but I've been there to speak. Yeah, to speak, right? So you, so you know how they, you know, they bring meetings in mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and <clears throat> so, um, you know, I, in my mind, I said, okay. You know, and at this stage, like, my mom was coming back and, you know, she she was, God, that woman. I put her through so much hell and she has always been supportive yeah. without enabling me. Um, she's, she's my, she's a godsend. But uh, anyways, um, so I, when I got to Turning Point, I thought of it in one of two ways. Like, okay, yeah, this is lame. All this stuff is lame. All these classes are lame. This is crap. <laughs> Um, but I could either go through the motions. Uh, it was like, all right, I'm stuck here. If I leave, I'm going back to jail. I don't want to go back to jail. I'm almost done. So I'm, I'm, I know I'm just going to stay here. I can either go through the motions just to get through, or I can try to be receptive to what it is that they're telling me and try to figure out what is wrong with me because there's something wrong with me. Like normal, normal people don't do this right (laughs) when you go to those rehab joints and some things they start that some of the education they're giving you yes it's like hey man uh you might be you know there is something wrong with you and they're actually also because in the back of that they're saying and there is a solution for this you know there's a way out and so i was hearing the people speak and mind you at none no point no even up until then, right? And I had been without a drink or a drug for about, you know, six months or something at that point. Never did I ever think that, all right, I'm going to stay sober. That was never even, that thought never even struck me. It was, I'm going to go through the motions to get through it. Yeah. I'm going to get a lawyer to get my license back. And then I'm going to stop doing dope because the dope is the problem i was so much better off when i was just an alcoholic just drinking. yeah 
<laughs> Mind you, all the legal trouble that I had been in and all the relationships were ruined because of directly from alcohol. Yeah. But in my it's mind, that parasite that's got your operating system hijacked and it's feeding you all kinds of bullshit. You know, like if you could just shit. do this, yeah. you'd be okay if you just smoked pot. If you just, you know, whatever. Yeah. If you just stayed off the drugs and only drank. I never, you know, you get yourself convinced. I never got in any real trouble drinking. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I, I told myself. Moderate. But, you know, hindsight's 20. Yeah, it's all bullshit. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the turning point stay, I was in there for about 35 days. I had two options. I could either go back to my mom's house, which I was going to do the entire time. Because I was going back to mom's. I was going to chill on her couch. I was going to eat all her food. I was, I was going to live good. Um, but the other option was I, there was a spot available at the Serenity House. And I was going to my mom's. Like, I was not going to a halfway house because of my, you know, sick thinking. I was, I'm too good for a halfway house, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, put two cups out on the table, you know, mom's house or a recovery house. Yeah. Well, that's not a hard choice. No. And, you know, just my ego, I was so sick, like, halfway house. I'm, I just, and I was, I was too good for a halfway house. Mind you, I was 28 years old, <clears throat> homeless, jobless, no license, no car, no, nothing. A trash bag full of clothes is the only personal items I had, but yeah. I'm too good for a halfway house. So, but I could tell, like, I could tell my mom really wanted me to try the halfway house out. So I promised her, I said, all right, I'll try this out. And she said, just try it for a couple months. If it doesn't work out, you, if you don't, you know, if it doesn't work, you try it, you can come back home. I said, okay. So my plan was I was going to be there for about three months. And then, you know, I was going to go to mom's after that. Well, ended up staying there for 10 months. Uh, you know, part of their program is you know you got to get a sponsor you got to go to meetings you got to work the steps and you got to tell them your progression and stuff like that and um, I had been I had been going to meetings now I've been going my first AA meeting was when I was 16 years old so yeah. I've been to plenty of meetings but I didn't know a lick about the actual program you know I would go and get obliterated go in there and I would just zone out or pass out and get my card signed and yeah and roll out you know uh but I had been to enough meetings at that point, and I had, I think, I had seen how, you know, happy people were. And you, the light that was emanating from them. Um, so, something, and the big turnaround was when I saw somebody who I used to party with back in the day who was just as wild, if not wilder, than I was. But they had about a year or two sober, and they, you know, their life was good. Mm -hmm. And it's just like... How did this person, how are they where they are now? Like that, it blew my mind. And so that was the real kind of tangible evidence that I needed. So, yeah, like I put that in the column of like step two of coming to believe, you know, yeah. because I'm seeing other people that I would not have believed could have done this. And if, if, if it worked for them, if it was working for them, then it might work for me too. Exactly. And that, that was a, that was a pivotal moment. Um, so I told myself and I, am extremely, I'm, I'm a very competitive person. So I told myself, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this AA thing and I'm going to do it better than anybody's ever done it ever. <laughs> I'm going to be the best step doer in this. I'll win a trophy. Yes. <laughs> They'll put my name on the wall. <laughs> I'm going to do this better than any 
I'm going to be the best step doer in this halfway house they would never seen. And uh, that's really how I <laughs> approached it. And uh, so I got a sponsor. I started working the steps and I started and I got really serious about it. Um, Who was sponsoring you? You the, say first name. The f- so, so let's see. I just wonder if I knew him. You might. The first quote unquote sponsor I ever had, his name was Benjamin. Hmm. Not, yeah, not, uh-huh. not cool, not that Ben, the cool Ben. The cool Ben. I know yeah. what you're talking about. As soon as he, uh, Matt ben. made some I love him. physical stuff and yeah. I knew who exactly he was talking about right from the get. Yeah, not him. Um, it's not a big deal, man. I don't want to sidetrack that. So you no, got to yeah. work in these steps with these guys. Yeah, and uh, um, and I and I was just and that was the time, you know, that was like the time that that meditation meeting was started, and I'd always been uh, interested in like Eastern philosophy mm-hmm. and um, just the spiritual realm in general when I was out in the madness, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so. My buddy A. Mill introduced me to that meeting, and you know, I was just a sponge at that at that stage of, of my spiritual yeah. journey, and that was probably the that meeting was the most beneficial thing that could have ever been offered to me. Yeah, right? Me too, man. I wish that that could be that dynamic could be recreated. Yeah. It, I've tried it, and I've been to different things like yeah, it. I remember you, yep. But, but there was something special about that particular yes, moment in time. That The people that were there, the place that it was at, the format, it was... It was magic. It was. Still to this day have not found anything even comparable. Yeah. Um, which, you know. But that's cool, you know. That that place will always be a special place to me. Same here, I'm man. sure it's it is. Holds a spot in my heart, man. And, yeah, and it, it was instrumental in my launch, you know, of actually, you know, to what I have as a current sobriety date. That Absolutely. Was, Not only uh, that, you know, it helped shape and form what my idea of a higher power even was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in a sense, I found God there, or what I perceive as God. And um, I learned to slow down the Tasmanian devil in me in there, yeah. too. You know, I learned to like, you know, because I think you're the same way, man. I oh, mean, yeah. you turn us loose and we're 100 mile an hour from this to that, bouncing off of this, bouncing off of that. And it it, it taught me to breathe and to slow down and mm-hmm. just, you know, find some kind of pace that was sustainable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I built really good relationships yep. there with people that I, you know still hold very dear yep. to this day yeah both addicts and not too for me yeah you know there was people that was coming to that meditation meeting that weren't suffering from mm-hmm. addiction yeah 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 i was yeah. moved a couple times in that meeting to the point that it was like earth shifting you know where i felt that well and i and i get to enjoy that in recovery because yeah. i'm aware today and i'm able sure. to like take in these special moments you know mm-hmm. and actually see them for what they are and that was some of the beginning of that too you know uh, one particular time was when uh julie come in and did a guided meditation verbally oh yeah and i was floating off this off the cushion that day man awesome. it's just one of them times man my my tingles were going up and down the back of my neck and up my spine and yeah. I was just like oh man this can just go on forever as far as I'm concerned yeah and uh just shifted just shifted me shifted my being yeah yeah I wish like I said I wish I could if 
find something like that. But and, and even at that time, so you know, the book talks about phases of their development. I think it might be in the family afterwards, or um, but the the phase in my development at that time was I was just um, I was learning. I was I was exploring my my spiritual path at the time and. I was, and I think that I think that is pretty typical with people whenever they um, are in recovery. There's a there's a speaker, I forget. It's on YouTube. Go check it out. One of those uh, talks about emotional sobriety and really phases of uh, general development uh, in the rooms, right? And at that time, I was just, you know, I had found something in the universe that I could use and that I could really perceive. And I was just exploring that to the max that I possibly could. And what that looked like for me was I was reading science of mind. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean really in depthly for hours reading this book and I would try to test like how long I could meditate for, and I would meditate for 45 minutes to an hour. And I mean, just being real, just fanatical about it and that but that was good for me for at the time right um but you know um you know i'd worked the steps i'd completed the steps and then i started sponsoring men um in the house too so um i had got my first job there and my first two jobs there at the the serenity house um um, I had rebuilt the relationships with my with my family, which was a really big thing. I had made a bunch of friends, and um, I had saved up some money, and I uh, paid a lawyer to get my license back. Mm. And then, um, you know, and then I had saved up some more money, and I did some uh, odd jobs. And um, my birthday present, my mom had remarried, and my now stepdad, who's a, another godsend, uh, get, gave me a little bit of money for my birthday and I bought a vehicle, bought a little truck. And, um, so at that stage, um, you know, here I am and I'd celebrated a year sober. So I had a year sober, you know, I had completed the steps, I'm sponsoring men, I'm doing the deal, doing the deal. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, my mom was like, all right. You know, I and I had been talking to her, and I'd been talking to everybody, and getting because that's you know that's what I do now is I get advice from people. I learned you know I learned how to live in this program, and I still lean on people to help guide me with a whole lot more experience with life than uh, I have. So they were like, "All right, yeah, you're, you know, you're ready to leave the halfway house." So I was like, "All right." So my mom was like, "You can come stay with us." And so I was like, why you find a place to stay? And I said, okay. So I went and I stayed with them at their house and um, and it was good. It was fine. You know, I just didn't want to live with my mom. Yeah. You know, I wanted my own spot. So um, it's kind of three quarter house, sort of, you know, you yeah. did this and halfway, you know, yeah. and just on your way back, you got to climb out. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and there, ha- I mean, my 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 family is just the best. Yeah, I've the, just seen you talk about your mom quite a bit. And there, uh, it does. It's touching, and how are these people that we basically just burn to the ground emotionally, oh man? Still have our backs and are supporting us as we try to climb back, and it's an amazing thing. She's, you know, that uh, I can't remember the line exactly, but if it wasn't one of the patients of wives and mothers said, mm-hmm. 
Many of us would have been dead a long time ago. And she, she's the she's the glue that holds our family together. She's yeah. she's awesome. But but I, I didn't want to live with her. Yeah, I couldn't have girls over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so well, I really didn't mind, but I you know couldn't have girls. I over get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't want to live with your that's just a natural thing. Man. You yeah. don't want to live there. Um, so uh, I had a buddy, he's still a friend of mine today. Uh, he has he was renting a house and asked me to move in, and so I moved in. But we lived together for a year, just doing the sober thing. I'd work, and he'd work, and you know he did his thing, and I did my thing, and then we'd do things together, and we just broke down. And that's still somebody who is a you know a good friend of mine to this day. And you know the job that I had was with our friend Josh. Uh-huh. And uh, he owned a business, and I was with him for you know two and a half, three years, something like that. And uh, yeah, you know, that just slipped my mind, but because you know, you when we do this thing, you know, I can't help but keep my eye on the guys that were like coming yeah. up with me. You know, uh-huh, and we're absolutely. on Facebook and we're doing. You see these stuff. Yeah, I've forgotten. That slipped my mind about the period that you work with Josh. Yeah, I I work that you know, and that job was hard. And it was cold or it was hot and it was, you know, physically demanding. But that that guy right there, you know, he we had been sober at that point, a similar amount of time, uh-huh. too. Yep. And uh, he was in the same kind of places in my heart because he you know, we were together. We were together before when early trying to get oh, sober. Really? We had met like in 2011 mm-hmm. and had bounced off the walls and halls together for like four years and then our sobriety dates were right on top of each other and it was just neat and he you know he was another one and that went to the jerry's meeting yep. so he was and we were on the same you know and we would just we would work hard but we were in a car together driving you know he would come and pick me up from the serenity house before i got my license too right so mm-hmm. and i learned so much about how to fix houses from him um just skills that I still have to this day, right? Um, but, you know, we would, we'd work hard, but, but during the drive time, we just talked about recovery yeah. the whole time. I mean, it was just a constant AA meeting, just yeah. constant. And we would talk about, you know, what we, our conceptions of, of God and, you know, what we're trying to do and how we perceive certain things. And it was just like, that was another one of those really, powerful times in my recovery and i you know i was in the first two years i averaged over a meeting a day you know i averaged like seven to ten meetings a week i was gone just neaa dance and function and all this stuff like i was just i would do it all and uh that's what i needed then yep um got real involved with the fellowship and just was constantly doing whatever it was uh, so, you know, after about a year of living with my buddy and, uh, my, my mom approached me, my mom, my sister approached me, my mom, she had bought a condo and just my sister lived in there and she had a roommate and a roommate moved out. So they approached me about me moving in with my sister who we had a fractured relationship basically my entire life. So, um, the place was really nice and. Um, so I said, yeah, there was a lot of space there. And so I moved in with my sister and, uh, 
we lived together for about four years. And I'm still there now. She moved out. I'm boss. <laughs> it's yours now. Yeah. So, well. Well, that you're there. Yeah. Oh, it is mine. We're getting ready to sell it. And I'm going to buy a house. But, um, but that's where I've been ever since. But after about two and a half years, two and a half, three years of working, doing that job, you know, I just, my body, like I was getting, I'm getting a little bit older and it was just like working outside and working in an attic and a crawl space every day is just, it's just taxing. It yeah. is taxing. And, you know, I was, you know, I was like, man, I, you know, it's an associate's degree, but I have a college degree. Like I'm a competent person. I have interpersonal communication skills. Like, you know, I, I could do something else. Um, and so, and I had been expressing my, uh, you know, talking to my mom about it and, you know, of course, what I said to myself was, I'm just going to go back to school and be a drug and alcohol counselor. Mm. You know, like we, everyone at some point yeah. probably says in their, uh, <laughs> in their recovery stage career, in their path. Um, my mom, but my mom said something. She was like, you know, why don't you get into real estate? And... My first initial reaction was, why would I want to do that? That sounds lame. They don't make no money. It just sounds... Because, I, you know, I had no idea of what that even looked like. Yeah. She's like, no, me and, you know, me and Dave, my stepfather, is talking about it. We think you'd be pretty good at it. She was like, I'll tell you what. I'll pay for the class for you to take it, and I'll pay for you to get licensed, and you get and you pay me back. So I said, okay. You know, I'll try it out. Um no expectations of what even it entailed. Uh, so I'd work 40 hours, a, 40, 50 hours a week with Josh, and then I'd go to real estate school at night and go to the gym in between, and that's what I did. And You know, I did what I needed to do to get licensed, and finally got licensed, and uh, um, I said, I don't know how I'm going to make this work, but I'm going to make this work. And so I approached Josh, and said, hey, you know, and Josh knew what I was doing. And he was real mm-hmm. cool about it. And uh, So I quit working there, and uh, I just took a huge leap of faith. So I quit because I couldn't do the 40 hours a week, and I couldn't. So, um, so I, when I quit Josh, I had one paycheck, and that was enough to cover the bills that I owed. That was it all the money I had um, so I went out and I got a job bartending um, because that's what I knew how to do and yeah. that's what I could do to make money while I get this other gig going mm-hmm. and um, you know I had asked uh, God to sponsor me a while before that and he was um, so he was my sponsor and he was also a very successful real estate agent and uh, so I have been working under him ever since. And he's been here, has he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He come. I don't remember. It was a few months ago. I ran into him in a yoga studio. You know, I'm yeah. always keeping yeah. my radar open for guests and stuff. And uh, yeah. one day, because I'd known him for a while, Bart, yeah. and uh, just seeing him around, you know, from yeah, being yeah, at yeah. Jeff at the Token Club meetings and stuff like that, you mm-hmm. know. And I just listen and keep my ears peered for people who have a story I'd like to hear. Yeah. And one day God put us on a yoga mat next to one another. And I That's said, hey, cool. man, would you? So we actually did yoga. 
one morning. Yeah. And then drove over here right after the yoga class, and he told his story. So, and you're part of it. Am I? Yeah. Good. Yeah, he, uh, you know, it's one of the cool things about one of the blessing, one of the many blessings of this program is, you know, you meet people that can change your life mm-hmm. for the better. And I won't say his last name, Bart, which if you're in this recovery community and you hear the name Bart. And yeah, there's not a lot of them. There's not a lot of them, so you probably know who it is, but... And he does blast his first and last name. It's he don't thing. care. Yeah. When I first when yeah. I first started coming around, and you picked up on that stuff, where most people were just saying their first name, you know, and I and yeah. and he was saying his first and last name, which caught my attention. I was like, "Why is that guy doing that?" And of course, then when I found out, I thought, "Well, he's just promoting him," you know. And it's like, no, no. Later, as you get a little yeah little development under your feet, you realize, no, he's doing that because he wants to make sure he's uh accountable and he's available and if somebody needs us help in this department you know they can find him yeah and you know he he comes his sponsors uh don Mm -hmm. who's been here also has he yeah he's the man so there's just a strong lineage there and yep no doubt bart had a lot of the things that you know when they say pick us when they tell you to pick a sponsor they tell you to pick somebody who has what you want right? right bart had what i wanted um not just, you know, the... Yeah, it's deeper than just what most people yeah, think when you, you know, say that. He he's got a, the lights are on in his eyes, man. He's having a good time, and he's that, always in a good spirit. And You know, he, he knows how to be a good father and a good husband and a reliable person and a good friend. Um, so he was somebody that I wanted to learn from Mm -hmm. learn how to live from and that's and that's been my experience in this program is when i came in here i I was a 28 year old man child yeah i didn't know well (laughs) i didn't know a lick about the real world yeah i really don't feel like i matured until i hit this program and Mm -hmm. did this work you know and i was 45 yeah you know and i still felt like uh, deep inside i was still 12 absolutely i've i've learned how to be a functioning member of society from the people in the in these rooms right i knew nothing about taxes or credit or you know debt and any of that stuff until I, yeah it just but but anyways and what me and bart have is kind of a is kind of a, a strange uh it's kind of a strange situation because he is my sponsor mm-hmm. and uh but he's also my mentor in business too so you know i know he questioned in the beginning and me, I just didn't care because I just didn't care. I was like, oh, whatever. Um, but it, it's really worked out, I mean, wonderfully. Um, yep. It's all about boundaries and stuff. And, yeah. you know, being able to play the role when it is and being able to be friends when you're friends and business associates when your business associates and sponsor and sponsor when you're in that role. We, well, yeah, absolutely. And we have, he's a big proponent of this which now I am a big proponent of this is, you know, business is, is, is just life and we live our lives and we conduct our business based on the principles that we've learned in the steps and in the program. So, Amen. you know, uh, so, so it's easy and I respect, and like I said previously is I have a big problem with male authoritative figures. I just, it's ego thing and stuff like that, but Bart is somebody that I respect 
so much that I could be submissive and uh, receptive. Receptive, and uh, you know I can. Um, yeah. That is a cool situation, you know, and there's a lot of places oh, where yeah. you get these things where it's, you know, on paper maybe it shouldn't work, but, uh, you know, we get we get to bend rules for, you know, that's one thing 12 Steps yeah. has taught me, you know. Uh, I get to live this thing called life in a way and that I, that's works for me, you know, and uh, there's not limits and rules about it, you no. know, there's not. No. Um, my sponsor is my best friend. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Bart's, and that's, you know, you know, a sponsor at base level is supposed to be a guide to take you through the 12 steps, right? right? Yep. But it can be a lot deeper, mm -hmm. right? I, like Bart is, he's more like family to me. Right. Yeah. Um, he's more like family. I mean, he's like a... Well, sometimes he's like a big brother, and sometimes he's like a dad. So, right. you know, yeah. it just I feel depends. that there's really no term that fits that mm -mm. what that is. Yeah, but it is. It falls under family, kind of that kind of Absolutely. feeling for sure. And and you know he and his family like they make me feel like family. Like I'll go over there and eat dinner with them and just hang out with them. Yeah. I'm sorry yeah. at uh at his house and. You know, it's 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 crazy, but I'd do anything in the world I could for him and. You know, I won't. I won't leave him business wise. Yeah. Um. Because I'm loyal, right? I'm loyal to the people that are loyal to me, and he has. The man's just done so freaking much for me that. Yeah. I'll just keep riding it out with him, and you know we've and you know he's crazy successful, but he's one of the reasons why I've been successful yeah. and. Uh, so I'm just got really a great teacher in a bunch of realms, ma'am. I mean, what else could you ask for? You know, you got the teacher in this how to operate under these twelve step principles. A teacher of how to do the occupation you're yeah. in, and 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 another guy that you know. Then they also is a great person just for how to do life as a father and a and a husband and a productive human that gets to come around and be just. There's nobody gonna say a bad thing about that man. No, there's not. There's none to be had. No, he's a good dude. He is a good dude. Um, and, and you've you know, done pretty well in that department yourself. I have. Uh, have found that you know huh. what you thought a few years ago about why would anybody want to do that. Exactly. Now you found yourself in this uh, miracle spot of actually being able to receive what the universe has to offer to you. And yeah, it's, and uh, I've seen some see some stuff on the internet. And, you know, you're also working with one of my sponsees, Chase. Oh, yeah. That's my so, homie. Uh, yeah, we've so. known each other. Way back. Way back. Yeah. 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 And, yes. you know, when you say that, you know, and that's the same way. So it's it, it it's reciprocal both directions. So now, like, I feel like, I, you know, I am part of Chase's family. Absolutely. You know, I go there, and this past weekend, they came down to the cabin with me all weekend, and Teresa and both kids. Mm -hmm. And I spent, like, a Teresa had to go to the bathroom, said, will you hold roomy? And she laid down and grabbed a hold of my shirt and just fell asleep on me, you know. And I said, you want me to take her back? No, she's okay right here, you yeah. know. And I'd sit for an hour, hour and a half. I don't know how long goes with that little darling baby sleeping on my shoulder while we just sit around and talked. And this whole community and what happens, uh, I, you know, when we thought in the beginning all we were trying to do is try to stop drinking, yeah. try to stop using, 
just try to get another day of sobriety and what what has actually developed from those early seeds of of that to what we get to enjoy today absolutely it's it's uh, i just keep on using the word miracle it is absolutely um so how can i articulate this so for me personally as far as and that you know and all that brings me up to today right i'm successful in my business uh you know life has afforded me to like i just got back from i was in the virgin islands for a week just mm-hmm. by myself just took miracle a, took a trip to the virgin islands and just roamed around the island you know um it's just crazy but so it's like for where do you go from here right and for me it's it's constant progression, right? I'm trying to each day be a little bit better than I was the day before. Because right. um, that's where, because still I'm trying to grow. You know, I'm six years, about six years sober and, uh, you know, I've come this far, but the work doesn't doesn't end. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's just beginning. And it looks a lot differently now than what it did uh, when I first got sober. And um, so it's like, you know, the, the natural progression is, you know, where where am I at today and what do I do today? And with COVID, it's made it a little bit more difficult. That's why this thing is really cool uh, that you have going on. But um, it's a lot of it is uh, it's emotional sobriety for me today is what is what the the goal is. And um, and what that means to me is knowing or making the right action innately um just naturally making the right decision yeah and not being consumed by emotions and feelings and regardless of how i'm feeling still making the right decision um and it's you know it's different it's sometimes it's a little bit more difficult than others but what I've learned is the longer that I stay sober and the more work that I do and the the more that I just continue down the path and try to constantly progress, like it gets a lot easier to make the right decision. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm human, I make mistakes. Sure. But the mistakes are a whole lot less uh first of all, they're a lot less detrimental to my yeah, life. Right, yeah. <laughs> Um, but there there's many consequences to the mistakes today, you know, (laughs) mistakes I make are, you know, uh, like this morning, I slept in me too. Uh, and I, and I overslept. So I was late here, you know, that's the mistake. Like that'll be the mistake I make. Uh, I did too. I did. I didn't think I needed to set an alarm for Sunday morning to get up at our starting time. And uh-huh. uh, my girlfriend spent the night last night. She's waking me up, going, "Dan, you might want to be getting up." Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, "Yeah, I do," <laughs> but no big deal. So, right? the book says, you know, first off, you the book. I love that book. There's yeah, so many absolutely. cool little lines, and I'm pointing to the AA book. Is that you know, Bill and her said we are not saints, and thank mm-hmm. God he said that. You know, and, and that I'm not having to do things perfectly. Absolutely. Thankful for that, you know. But he also said on another thing that this thing becomes a natural, uh, uh, a working part of the mind, you know. Mm-hmm. And I begin to be able to operate in some kind of level that just doesn't feel like me because of so many years of not doing the right thing and making the wrong decisions and sometimes being convinced they were the right decisions when I'm making them. That now when I can operate with this, 12 Steps has given me a way to operate like philosophically through 
just trip on this big blue marble. You know, I have some tools that actually work. They do work. And, and I got an awesome tribe to that is that is also operating under the same principles. So mm-hmm. we work good together like that. It's crazy. Yeah, and you are. I mean, I remember. I mean, you were you were uh, you were a mess when we first met. <laughs> Yeah. And let's watch how far people come and mature, you know. And, Absolutely. And, that. and it's just, well, it's world-changing, really. It's world-changing because everybody comes in contact with you now is going to have a whole different experience. And you have a positive impact on your path today. And yeah. uh, we get to do cool stuff. I'm assuming you're still sponsoring folks. And I know Absolutely. It's, a, it's kind of changed here. With COVID, you don't like bump into as many people as as I used to, but it has. But um, I'm always look. I'm always trying to sponsor somebody, and I ha- you know I have sponsees and I have people that I'm actively working with. I always at least try to keep one that I'm taking through the book at all times. Right, me too. Um, and it, it it has changed a little bit with COVID. Uh, you know, our home groups open um, on Wednesdays. Um, but that's about the only in person meeting that I really get to go to. Yeah, that's um, it. Huh? What is it? Uh, young People meets Wednesday night, 7.30. It's at 61 Louise Street in Jeffersonville at the old Optimist Club. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, but I still, you know, I hit Zoom meetings, mm-hmm. any kind of, uh, any, I, I'll take it any way I can get it, you know, in this, in this day and age, or this yep. time. Yep. Um, I have to be uh, adapt and improvise and absolutely. be flexible. And but what I've learned is, you know, alcoholics or addicts or whatever uh people in recovery are resilient and they're going to find a way to get it get the recovery and continue to to share the message and help people one way or the other yep only regret is i wish i would have uh, invested in zoom a little bit (laughs) yeah financially Uh, invested in it yes yeah yeah Um, because it certainly blew up yeah so but you know and with that whole deal and now you can find a meeting Anywhere, everywhere. All day, every yeah. day. You wonder what the long-term impact. I think I don't think those. You know, I don't think those will go away. They look like no. a, they look like a band-aid when we first started doing them. Yeah. Something as a as a substitute for mm-hmm. meetings, but now I think it's going to be a way of life in recovery now. Yeah, me too. Are you on Clubhouse? Uh, of course. Yeah. So I'm part of a sober house there too. You know, there's Are you? a sobriety club, and I host a meeting on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Another cool. way I can participate in my recovery and continue to. To give and to get, you. and uh, it's just it's just simply called sobriety. It's a club, you know, and it's growing quickly. And, Has it? And uh, when I first got there, it was like one of, I don't know, 14, 15 members hired almost, and now it's blowed up. Really? And meetings, people are, you know, snagging times in the calendar and having having meetings. And That's awesome. It's all about it, and it's, it's wide open. I could probably, if I find you on my phone and, add, and invite you to that group. I tried, Clubhouse is a, it's, it's a little weird. It is weird. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I have to like, I have to limit myself yeah. to how Boundaries. long I'm on it because yep. I will, I have been caught in there for hours. Yeah. And there's a lot to do with the real estate market and business uh, and, and yeah. things like and, that too. And so I, I, I got to be real mindful about it, but it's, yeah. it's just another super awesome thing. Yeah. My first thing was how can I, how can this be something that I could add into my recovery? Mm-hmm. You know, and actually my podcast guest that's on that I put out new content every Sunday morning. Cool. And uh, so I try to get a guest a week, and I try not to stack them up. I'm mm-hmm. not looking to have 25 episodes in the can. Yeah. Uh, this allows me to continue to participate in my recovery on a regular basis, and uh so my more my the guy who come out today was a guy i met on clubhouse oh really yeah very cool 
Yeah. It's crazy. So he's from uh, Kansas, and we did a Zoom oh, really? uh, interview, you know, and you Very can record cool. it. And, yeah, so that excites me, too, about where the horizons are on that, too. And yeah. I kind of like the audio of it, you know, the yes. non-visual part of it, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I like the Zoom, too, because I get to see my home group. I'd say, way we're still meeting, you know, and, yeah. and you get to actually see the faces. But I kind of like that because I can sit out here and work. Like yeah, I have a wood like a yellow, all that yellow is a woodworking project for for a client, mm-hmm. and uh, and I can sit out here and work and listen to yep. a clubhouse and like be in a meeting, mm-hmm. you know, and not participate, but I can still be doing what I'm doing. I Absolutely. stop what I'm doing in order to to digest some recovery. It's made it. It's it's made recovery very accessible. Yeah. Right. So. Remember when it was like people would say, you know, I can't get to a meeting, you know, and when you had to drive to one, and I still wouldn't accept that. I'm like, you yep. know, nah, call somebody. Somebody will take you to you know, you Nowadays, you yeah. Like, now there really is no, no excuse. Yeah, because you can sit in your couch and you, go to a meeting 24-7. If you didn't have, I mean, you would have to not have any kind of phone or electronic device to Yep, you could be in that excuse. boat. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know anybody that yeah. doesn't, so. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm. I don't know. I, I had an opportunity to sponsor a homeless guy a few years ago, and I didn't uh, have any idea how to do that, you know. Too. And I was like, whoa, you know. And I'm kind of like even talking to my sponsor. I, I don't relate with anything he, you know, and ended up sponsoring him, and it was a great thing. But my point here is, is you know, that's like, you know, nowadays homeless guys have cell phones. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're homeless, and they're living in a street in a tent out in the woods someplace, but they got a cell phone. They got a phone. Yeah, you know. And I'll probably I'll, I'll say this and I'll probably wrap it up. Okay. Um, so the big thing for me whenever I first got sober was uh, I thought my life was going to be extremely boring and extremely bland and I wasn't going to have any fun anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like that was probably the thing that scared me most because I equated my fun to my drinking and using. Right? Ding 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 bell ringer man. So what I've learned is that nothing has been further from the truth. Yeah. The experiences that I've, I get to do the things, the things that I've always wanted to do as a, as a child, the things that I dreamed about doing, like, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, oh my God, when I'm grown up, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, you know, uh, you know, I can't wait for that phase of my life, but I could never do any of those things when I was out there in the madness because that the search for the next one was all that consumed my mind. So. The thing, but the things that I always wanted to do, I have now gotten to do mm-hmm. and get to continue to do, all because of recovery. Um, things like you know, you know, I always wanted tattoos. Now, now I get to go get a bunch of tattoos. I always wanted to travel. I get to travel. You know, I've got the opportunity to go to. Uh, like Bonnaroo for free with uh, with groups with a group of sober people, right? Yeah. And experience that. You know, I got to, you know, I get to be a gym freak, and I get to, um, you know, train jujitsu and martial arts things that I always wanted to do since I was a kid. I get to, you know, play music and continue to learn in that. And I'm supposed to go record next weekend with, you know, some people and just. All the, all the things that you know, the things that really are soul fulfilling. Yeah. Um, not just the partying and, cause anymore that just. Looking back and in the position I am, like, 
to me, that just seems lame. Yep. It just seems lame. Yep. I feel sorry for the people that I see that are still stuck there. And it's not even like, not even, not even from the people who are, you know, for like a, a bad drug addict or a bad alcoholic, like that is bad. Like yeah. that is bad. But even for the normal person, that that's what they do for fun is like, to me, it just is like, like, all you're doing is you're just going somewhere and you're sipping a beverage and just bumbling around, stumbling around. You're not really doing anything. Like, to me, it's just like, it just doesn't seem that interesting. Yeah. The initially, the dropping the alcohol, you know, stopping looked like a limit. Yeah. It looked like it was going to be a limiter, like when I stopped drinking, and the opposite is actually true. That was the limiter, and this life is limitless. Limitless. And, uh, and, but, I, you know, I could not see that from the get-go. You know, no. I couldn't see that from that other side. And then you try to talk a guy into it, and that's part of the reason why I like to do this. One of the reasons why I have this podcast and why I choose guests that I do is they're showing that limitless like you are, you know. Yes. And I want that example out there so that, you know, folks see that this is – possible absolutely you know, this other life is you know another little cliche was if i'd have written a script for my life as i came in the doors i'd have sold myself way short yeah yeah i would have never thought that i would be in this position and so there's a guy who's a friend of mine he's in the rooms his name's emil yep no emil no emil and uh he said you know you get nuggets uh thrown at you all the time in these rooms little little pieces uh-huh. of information uh that you that stick with you and he he said he said and says something that just has is just stuck in my brain it's always on the forefront of my mind and he said and this is probably paraphrasing but what he says is uh when you come into the rooms and you get sober you are granted unlimited potential and i have taken that little little piece and just applied it to everything I do yeah and it's cool love that yeah so those little taglines stick with you too man oh, all yeah. those little nuggets you pick up if you're aware and you you know some of them I, ha- I use two of them at the end of this podcast that stick with me mm-hmm. and that's why I sign off every time it's one of them come from happy really he's another one he's yep. another guy that was just an integral part of certain phases of my recovery and now at this stage, you know, I'm constantly trying to learn, but I get the most fruit, I would say, from being of service and giving what I, giving away what I was given. Mm-hmm. So. Me too. Me too. I usually ask guys for a concluder, you know, when we get to the end of this, but yeah. you volunteered, Joanne. So uh, yeah. uh, I have to even, I kind of smiled inside when I was like, well, it's usually, but it looks like he's ahead of the game on that. And uh, awesome concluding thought on that, man. I really thank you for uh, coming in. It was good to see you again. You know, we bump into each other here and there. And I do keep an eye on my friends on Facebook and that kind of things about what's going on. And I always am tickled the other day. I, you know, I saw uh, you and Chase in a picture, you know, yeah. and I was like, oh, and I wasn't aware of it. I just, I don't know, maybe Chase had mentioned it or something, but, you know, we're really close and know what most is going on. So thanks for coming and sharing your story, man. I know uh, it's amazing. It is. It's just amazing to uh, watch where we were and where we're at today and, you know, and the potential, like you said, unlimited potential for the future of what, what, what can be, what's to come. It's crazy. The only requirement being that I uh, 
uh, mine this thing the rest of my life and be willing to give the entire product away. Absolutely. That's what Bill says in there. So I closed with two things and I took them from other people. Uh, everything I know about this program and everything I've learned, I've learned from somebody else. So I certainly can take credit for none of it other than uh, putting it into action under my in my own life. Is that if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault because it's available. And I uh, just want to thank everyone out there for uh, allowing Matt and I to participate in our recovery in this manner today. Peace out. Always try to be just who they want.